rather than go down the rabbit hole of trying to, you know, find exactly what the perfect percentage is, um, I think the important thing is that you should intend to do most of your training at low intensity and you should follow through on that intention. The, the, the training you intend to do at low intensity should actually be executed at low intensity. And most endurance athletes aren't doing that. The Triathlon Show 152. Hey, what's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host, Michael, and on today's episode, I interview Matt Fitzgerald, who is a very famous coach, author, endurance athlete, and nutritionist. And our topic today is 80-20 training, which means training, doing 80% of your training duration at an easy intensity and only 20% at a moderate or high intensity. And Matt, along with David Warden, co-wrote the book 80-20 Triathlon, which has just been released a few weeks ago. And we had, obviously, David come on the show before in episode 121 to talk about this, so you can go back to that and listen to it as well. But today with Matt, we dig a bit deeper into the topic and uh, get quite practical, to be honest. With David, we talked a lot about the research behind it. Uh, But today with Matt, we focus more on the application side of things and what athletes should and should not do when it comes to doing the right training intensity distributions in their training and and following 80-20. Although, as we'll get into, there is no magic in, in round numbers. A lot of you have been sending in questions about this topic as well, and I do hope that and think that we managed to cover all of those. I specify some listener questions that I got through Facebook. If you aren't already a fan of Scientific Draft on Facebook, go and like that page because that's where I sometimes post before I do interviews and give you the opportunity to chime in with listener questions for my guests as well. But some of the other questions that I ask also are generated by listeners that have come in uh, ever since my interview with David, really, so over a long time. So before we dive into that interview, this episode is sponsored by Precision Hydration. And as you know, they make electrolytes to help you replace the sodium that you lose in your sweat, which is very individual because some people sweat a lot, some people sweat less, some people have more sodium in their sweat, and some have less. There are three different ways to sweat test, including the whole body washdown technique, which you basically exercise naked. And then there's patch taste testing, which is also an in-exercise test method. And then there's the at-rest non-exercise sweat testing protocol, which Precision Hydration uses and to great success. They have sweat test centers in 18 countries, so you can find one near you, hopefully, on their website if you're interested in getting an exact specific number of how much you sweat and how much sodium your sweat contains. But if you don't want to get that specific, if you prefer quick and easy and free, then there's the free online sweat test, which is a fourth bonus way. And you can take Precision Hydration's free sweat test on their website. I'll link to it in the episode description as well. That will give you a personalized hydration strategy for training and for racing. And if you want to order any of Precision Hydration's electrolytes to then follow that plan, then you can do so with the promo code DATTRIATHLONSHOW, all one word, all caps, on precisionhydration.com, and that will give you your first box for free. This episode is also sponsored by Stack, that make the world's quietest indoor bike trainers. They have a new smart trainer version out on the market. It's the Stack Zero Halcyon. And this trainer recently won the award for the best bike training accessory, beating a lot of other trainers and other accessories at Eurobike 2018, uh, probably the biggest industry event in the cycling industry. So that was a fantastic achievement. 
the jury evaluated the Stack Zero Halcyon as outstanding in its degree of innovation, in its design, and in its added value to cyclists. And they stated that we are greatly impressed by this new, absolutely low-noise solution for a home trainer. The use of suspended magnets also means there is no direct contact between wheel and rollers, which in turn eliminates added wear on the bike. If you want to check out the new smart trainer Stack Zero Halcyon or their previous versions, which are still great, great trainers in their own right, the Stack Zero Base and the Stack Zero Power Meter models, go to stackzero.com, that's S-T-A-C and zero spelled out, dot com. And if you want to get 20% off when you order the trainer, and why wouldn't you, then use the promo code TTS20 to get that 20% discount. All right, so let's get right into the interview with Matt Fitzgerald. Today's guest on that triathlon show is uh, Matt Fitzgerald. Matt, how are you doing tonight or today? I'm I'm doing very well tonight for you, today for me. Uh, Yeah, I'm in California. It's great to be with you. It's great to have you, and uh, we have plenty to discuss, so let's just dive right in. And 8020 Triathlon is your new book we talked about it a little bit before the interview it's been out for roughly four weeks in the states and uh, we we obviously had uh, david ward and your co-author on before but if you can sum up the take-home message to start with of the book what what is it about yeah so if i were going to put it on a t-shirt uh, the message would be slow down to get faster um uh, the, the most common and costly mistake that tr- not just triathletes, but all endurance athletes make in their training um, is spending too, time, too much time at a, at a moderate intensity versus a low or a high intensity. Um, and the 80-20 in the title of the book refers to the idea that the, the most effective way to balance intensity in endurance training is 80% of your total time at low intensity um, and 20% at moderate to high intensity. Um, you know, mo- most endurance athletes spend almost uh, half of their total training time at moderate intensity, which is way too much. And can you define the intensities? Like how can you define what is low intensity, moderate and high intensity? And and also talk a little bit about where this comes from. How, how do we know that 80-20 is a, is a good model and distribution to follow? Right. Um, so yes, there, there are various ways of defining intensity, but um, for 80-20 purposes, the threshold that really matters is known as the ventilatory threshold, sometimes called the first ventilatory threshold. Um, and that is an intensity at which uh, your, breathing weight, your breathing rate during exercise spikes. So if you're just a little bit below that threshold um, and you increase your intensity, at, you know, initially, you're bre- of course, you know, the more intensely you exercise, the, the harder you breathe. But it's sort of a linear increase at first. But when you get to this threshold, there's a big bump. Um, it's not something that you necessarily uh, would be conscious of. But if, if your breathing rate is measured, um, it's you know, mathematically significant where that, where that jump occurs. Uh, but it's not a very high intensity for the typical trained endurance athlete. It's somewhere around 77, 78% of maximum heart rate. So that's, that's the borderline between uh, low and moderate intensity. And the reason it seems to matter so much is that um, when you cross over that threshold, you know, going from below it to above it, um, your brain begins to recruit a lot more fast twitch muscle fibers um, and that makes the exercise significantly more stressful to the nervous system, which means it takes a lot longer to recover from. So, um, you know, if you're, if you're just below it, the exercise is just a lot less stressful to your nervous system and, and you need less time to recover from it than if you were just a, above it. Um, yeah, that's why uh, you know, that, that threshold is very important. Um, as, as for where it comes from, uh, the, uh, the original research behind 8020 was done by uh, a gentleman named Stephen Seiler. He's an American exercise physiologist based in Norway. Um, and about uh, in the early 2000s, he, he did some research to try to figure out how elite endurance athletes actually distribute their training intensity 
And across different disciplines, uh, you know, running, cycling, swimming, triathlon, rowing, Nordic skiing, he found that um, elite performers in all these sports tend to follow this 80-20 balance. Um, there's, some, there's some fine print to that, but that's the pattern he saw over and over again. And subsequent research on recreational endurance athletes has shown that that distribution is also more effective for increasing fitness than the way, well, than other ways of balancing intensity. So that uh, brings me to some follow-up questions. First, regarding the recreational athletes, this is something that I also asked David about, but uh, is there a threshold for when you're training so few hours that actually 80-20 is not effective anymore? Or what's, uh, can, can we go deeper into that, basically? Because I get a lot of questions from athletes asking if 80-20 still applies if they train X amount of hours and they're not sure that it's, uh, it's necessarily right from them. Right. Um, so you know, th- that threshold probably has to exist somewhere, but um, it's, it's quite low um, because one of the studies that uh, was done with recreational endurance athletes found that, and it was runners, uh, Spanish runners, um, found that when they, these were athletes who, who ran on average about 45 minutes a day, which is you know, not a lot, um, or you know, pretty typical for a recreational uh, athlete. Um, and they benefited more from an 80-20 intensity balance than they did from uh, uh, a program where they spent a lot more time at moderate intensity as most runners do. So that that's a pretty low volume where 80-20 was, uh, still more beneficial. And honestly, if you get much lower than that, you know, my question to you is like, what's the point? You know, <laughs> what do you, do you really want to train for a marathon in 30 minutes a day? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that, that said for some like beginner triathletes that train for a sprint distance, uh, it's, uh, it's a relevant question. Uh, but yeah. I want, I want to go a bit deeper on, on this topic because I'm very curious as a coach myself as well. After interviewing David, I really started tracking, uh, and, uh, my intensity distributions that I gave my athletes. And in some cases, it followed an 80-20 distribution. In some cases, not. I couldn't really see a correlation between how well the athletes progressed, to be honest. Some that had uh, less easy training, and most of that uh, harder training came on the on the bike and swim, not on the run. The run almost always followed at least 80% easy, if not more. But but in total, if, if we calculate, calculate for all three sports, I see in, in a lot of athletes that I coach with just my intuitionally uh, intuition based programming i don't always uh, fall in the 80 20 but i saw that they still progressed really really well so and uh, some of the weekly durations for those athletes were like seven to nine hours per week perhaps that sort of yeah. range so so i started to think could there, could it be that it's different in triathlon in multi-sport when you have three different disciplines or what's your take on that uh well, you know, the first thing I would say is, you know, there's there's no magic in round numbers. Uh, you know, <laughs> you know, it, <laughs> it's 80 it's 20 give or take uh, or, you know, roughly approximately 80 20. Um, so I think it's more rather than go down the rabbit hole of trying to, you know, find exactly what the perfect percentage is. Um, I think the important thing is that you should intend to do most of your training at low intensity and you should follow through on that intention. The the training you intend to do at low intensity should actually be executed at low intensity. And most endurance athletes aren't doing that. Um, So, you know, if, if that is a, that is a giant mistake that nearly every, you know, non elite endurance athlete is making is that, um, they don't have enough easy, uh, you know, easy training in their program, and or the training they think that they're doing at low intensity is actually being done mainly at moderate intensity. So when you fix that problem, just you know having the right plan and then you know executing it, then you can start to worry about the minutia of, of, of the numbers. But that's really not the, the main point. Um, so there's plenty of wiggle room. And, and I'm, you know, when I, 
even though just sort of as a, an exercise, you know, proof of concept in the book, you know, we calculate with the training programs that are in there, you see the numbers and, you know, they do hew very close to 80-20. But in my day-to-day work as a coach, I'm not sitting down with a calculator. Um, you know, you know, it's, you know, if you actually, if I went back and sometimes I do and just calculate the training I've given, um, it's always, you know, relative, it's in the ballpark of 80-20, but I don't, I don't worry about exactitude at all. You know, I, I worry, I, I focus more on, you know, experience and intuition. I, I really do it the same way you do. Yeah, no, I, I can 100% buy into that, what you said, that the easy training, there should be a large amount of easy training in the program and it should be executed as easy and, and easy enough right. and, and not not moderate. That that makes total sense, uh, definitely. And since we're talking about calculating these distributions, if an athlete wants to do it for themselves, let's say they, they are self-coached and they make their own program, how do you actually go about calculating how much training you do in the easy moderate and high intensity zones yeah so um you know first obviously you have well i mean even if you if you're just if if you're just planning you know you don't really need to know uh what the specific numbers are you know because there are different uh metrics that you can measure intensity with you can do power uh pace um uh, heart rate, um, and, you know, even perceived effort. Um, so, you know, regardless for, for the actual planning, um, you know, uh, almost all of the high intensity work is going to necessarily occur in inter interval formats where it's not one, one extended block of high intensity swimming, cycling, or running. It's an interval set when you're either passively or actively recovering between, uh, relatively short high intensity efforts and for calculation purposes. And this comes straight from Steven Seiler. Um, he says that the, the entire interval block should be counted as time at high intensity, because that really reflects the true physiological stressfulness of interval, uh, training. So, you know, low intensity workouts are generally, you know, uh, just basic bread and butter aerobic sessions uh, but also warm-ups and cool-downs, those count as low intensity. Uh, you know, recoveries between intervals do not. They count as part of the high-intensity intervals. Um, and then moderate intensity is usually done in, you know, medium-sized blocks. You know, longer intervals or or tempo or threshold efforts. So, you know, it's not exe- – except for that little wrinkle with the intervals, it's pretty easy to calculate, you know, if you're going to do – um, no, it needs to be time-based, not distance-based. Um, so that's also important. So if you typically measure, say, your runs in uh, kilometers um, and you're planning, you know, a, a 20K long run, um, you'll want to, for planning purposes, know about how long that will take at low intensity um, so you can, you know, do your calculations uh, on a time basis, which makes swimming a little bit complex um but in the book we sort of explain how how to handle that yeah yeah and uh that should answer most of the questions that i get about how to calculate it because i do get a lot uh dean uh listener of the podcast here's the answer for you uh one of the most common ones would be that time between intervals what to do with that you answered that already it comes as high intensity warm-ups and cooldowns are low intensity so within a high intensity session an interval session you can have both low intensity durations and high intensity durations or you will have that and then you just add up on a weekly or monthly or whatever it is basis and and just calculate the percentages and uh if we go to measuring uh, you mentioned power heart rate rpe uh can you tell us a little bit about what is the is, is it useful to do that like in hindsight analyze what you did and if so which metrics do you recommend using yeah, it, it, it's very useful because, um, you know, you mentioned in, in your work with athletes, you know, you look for patterns, um, you know, does an athlete improve more or less, um, you know, with, with a given breakdown of intensity? Um, and then, you know, at, at a group level, what patterns do you see? But as an individual athlete, you, 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 you want to know what's working for you or, 
Um, it's, it's not that different if you're trying to lose weight. Um, it's easier to lose weight in a methodical way if you actually weigh yourself <laughs> instead of just looking in, in the mirror. Um, so, yeah, so, I mean, you, it starts with planning, you know, just having the intention to train this way. Um, but then, you know, a, a lot of the tools that uh, exist, you know, the online tools and such for uh, uh, logging or journaling your training allow you to, you know, uh, to see time and zones. Um, and it's just, it's useful to track a, to make sure you're actually doing what you intend to do. Uh, but B to look for just, you know, individual patterns, um, in, in terms of the results you're getting, um, you know, because, you know, there, there can, there's, there's subtler questions like such as within that 20% bucket, which encompasses moderate and high intensity training, what's the best balance for you, you know, moderate versus high uh, if you're training for, say, a sprint triathlon versus an, an Ironman distance triathlon. So, um, you know, there, there are still questions that you need to answer through, um, you know, heuristics, trial and error, um, and, and, and monitoring your, your own personal uh, training intensity breakdown as you go can be very helpful in, in fine-tuning your training approach. Yeah, exactly. And, and even one tip that I would give what I do when I look at an athlete's workout, I have I use Training Peaks, but you can do it in other platforms as well. There is a, a range if you use Training Peaks Workout Builder, like I have a power range or a heart rate range that the athlete is supposed to hit. And I just uh, overlay what they actually did with that planned range and i can see if they fell into that range or not and uh, then it's very easy to visualize if they held a targeted intensity or they actually uh, did overdid an easy workout for example then i will see that the the heart rate curve or the power curve is above that target uh, target range and that's something that i assume that many many platforms can do and by the right. way, can you talk about your calculators that you have on 8020endurance.com because they can help with setting training zones and et cetera. So it can be a useful resource for athletes to learn about right now. Yes. You know, so there are, you know, obviously different uh, intensity schemes out there. Uh, we have our own for 8020. It's not that different from, uh, from others. Um, but everything hinges on initial testing, you know, uh, you know because obviously uh, the zones are not the same for everyone um, and they actually change for you over time as you gain or lose fitness. So in the book we describe um, and also on our 8020 endurance website, some uh, calibration tests, lactate threshold uh, tests that you can do to establish, um, you know, your current fitness level. And then um, you just, you know, you put the result into our online calculator and you get your zones uh, you can also do it in running through um, a, a, a recent race result. So if you've run uh, a 10K race, you can put your time in and get running zones that way. Yeah, perfect. Uh, so it's 820endurance.com, and I'll link to that in the show notes so so it's easy to to find. Um, what's the time frame that 8020 should be followed at? Uh, is it like... Every week should be roughly 80-20, although, as we said already, it's not the magic is not in round numbers, but you, right. uh, you, know, you get what I mean. Do you need to look at it yes. on a weekly basis or a monthly basis, or, or what's uh, the time frame here? I think weekly makes sense. Um, you, know, you know, daily or you know, just, you know, it, you know, because there are people who are beginners who might think, okay, so every workout needs to be 80%, 20%. Uh, no, <laughs> that, that's a bit like weighing yourself too often if you're trying to lose weight or, uh, you know, checking the value of your stock portfolio too often. You can drive yourself crazy by um, becoming too granular. Um, so backing out and, and uh, analyzing on a weekly basis that doesn't mean that there aren't times when you want to be above uh, doing more than more or less than 80% of your training at low intensity over the span of a week. Um, we can get into that, but, but um, during those times when you are trying to follow the 80, 20 rule um, you know, it should balance out on a weekly basis. If you are training in seven day cycles, which most of us are, um, because if you're off, if you are, if you are training in seven day cycles 
and your balance is off in one week, then it's probably off in every, every week because you're, you're, you're following essentially the same schedule um, from week to week. So that, that level of, of uh, analysis does make sense. Yeah. And, and what about the distribution across disciplines for triathletes? Uh, should it be roughly 80-20 within each discipline or can you do less intensity in, for example, running and take some of that intensity and put it to swimming or cycling? What's your take on that? Yeah. Um, so in in my previous book, uh, 80-20 running, which is for runners, obviously same concept, Um you know, a lot of runners, they, they, they tend to get injured. So they may do some swimming or, or cycling, uh, not because they compete as triathletes, but so that they can, um, build more fitness than they can gain on a safe amount of running. And for, for those athletes, I tell them if you're competing in running, um, and not in whatever form of cross training you're doing, uh, the, the overall balance of your combined training should be 80, 20. Um, but it doesn't matter really, um, if, if your cross training includes high intensity, you know, more than, more than 80, more than 20%, less than 20%. It doesn't matter as long as sort of when everything is mixed together, um, it's 80, 20, because the human body, you know, physiologically, it doesn't really know whether you're swimming, cycling or, or running per se. Um, But if you are a triathlete, it's a little different because you're actually competing in every discipline you're training in. So your performance capacity for a runner, you know, cycling is just supplement. It's just cross training. But for a triathlete, you are you are swimming on the clock in a race. You are cycling on the clock and you are running on the clock. And therefore, if you get the most performance gain from, from the 80-20 approach, you should be 80-20 in all three, or you just won't improve as much. Um, so that's the way you need to look at it. Uh, and there was an interesting uh, case study done with an elite triathlete that I, I, I describe in the book, where um, this is a, an Olympic level triathlete, and her um, she was also Spanish, and, and her, her training was tracked over an entire year. Um, and when you, when everything was combined, swimming, cycling, cycling, and running, the, the, the intensity balance was very close to 80, 20. If you looked at swimming, cycling, and running separately, they were all three very, very close to 80, 20. So that, that's how you do it. Mm, very interesting. Uh, one thing that we also talked about already a bit is, uh, Steven Seiler's research and, uh, the concept of polarized training, which uh, is not quite the same as 80-20, as you alluded to a little bit, but can you explain that a bit further? Because that's the other thing that I get a lot of questions about. Yeah, so I, I mentioned that the, you know, the most common mistake that endurance athletes in uh, making their training is getting caught in what I call the moderate intensity rut, where they're spending too much time at moderate intensity. That doesn't necessarily mean that training at moderate intensity is bad. It just means that most people do too much of it. However, there are there are some people out there who think that you should avoid moderate intensity altogether or or really minimize time spent at moderate intensity. And that leads to the polarized training concept where all of your training is either low intensity or high intensity and uh, little to none is spent at moderate intensity. That's polarized training. Um, you would still want to, to get the most out of a polarized approach. You would still want to spend a lot more time at low intensity than you do it at high. Um, so you could think of polarized training as sort of a radical version of, of 80-20. Yeah. I had an interesting discussion yesterday, actually, with the head coach of the Norwegian triathlon team. And I don't know how closely you follow the ITU circuit, but uh, Norway has made big strides recently. And uh, they uh, sweeped the men's podium in the ITU race, in the World Triathlon Series race in Bermuda, which no uh, nation has ever done before on the men's side. US has done it a few times on the women's side. But and this is a small country with uh, less than 5 million inhabitants and not a climate that's conducive for triathlon. Right. So, so it was a great, great discussion. And I asked him specifically because Steven Seiler's re research is conducted in, uh, in Norway and they don't, they follow definitely something that looks like an 80 20 approach with a lot of volume and a lot of low intensity training. But they don't follow a polarized training model with a lot of high intensity. In fact, they, 
avoid high intensity and do mostly low and moderate intensity and try to stay at or below their lactate threshold. And uh, and he said his reasoning he has been discussing with Steven Seiler is that still, even though that research comes from several different endurance sports, uh, the bulk of it comes from, uh, for example, cross-country skiing, where actually the majority of race distances are quite short, quite a lot yes. shorter than Olympic dis- distance triathlon. So I thought that was an interesting perspective. Yeah, um, you know, that, you know, I'm not a scientist myself. So as a, as a coach, I, I take a pragmatic approach. You know, I, I can't wait for the scientists to figure everything out because I have, I have athletes training for races today. <laughs> Excuse me. And what, what makes sense to me uh, today is that exactly what you suggested is that within that 20% bucket, which encompasses both moderate and, and high intensity, how you distribute your time there should really be dependent on the distances you you compete at. Um, so if you're a pool swimmer, you know, doing 50, 100, 200, 400 meter races um, you know, that just take, you know, minutes at, at most to complete, um, I, I think most of your, most of the 20% should be spent at high intensity um, you're still doing 80-20, but you're, um, you are doing something more polarized. Whereas you're, if you're uh, an Ironman competitor, um, most of the 20% uh, should be at moderate versus high intensity. And if you think about it, because you know, I'm training for an Ironman right now, when you're, when you're training upwards of 20 hours per week, you can't do 20% of that high intensity. <laughs> you know, it would be you, very tough. Yes. <laughs> So yeah, that's that's uh, my approach. You know, I, I hope there's more research done in this area to fill in the picture. But um, you know, just as as a coach, um, I, I think I have it figured out decently already. Yeah, yeah. And uh, to add to that, just uh, looking through your book, Eighty Twenty Triathlon, that we'll also link to, of course, in the in the show notes. Uh, in your training plans for the Ironman, for example, you seem to have more of that high intensity training earlier in the in, right. in the training build up for the Ironman and then the closer you get to the race the more you move into more and more moderate intensity which is more race specific I guess yeah yeah that's a, that's a great point you know we've been speaking up to this point as if uh, you know a training block was monolithic and you know you're you're you know whatever you're doing in week four you're also doing in week 12 of course that that's not the case so you can you can it can evolve it can and should evolve, um, and, and you know a, a principle I generally like to follow is that um, your training becomes more and more race specific as time goes by. So in the the early part of a training cycle, you can afford to work on aspects of your fitness that are important but aren't as specific to uh, racing as uh, as you want to do you know later in the cycle closer to competition. Yeah. And uh, one more question that I have is uh, what has happened in uh, the field of research on uh, on eighty twenty training and polarized training since David was on? Because we really went quite deep into what we knew from a science perspective at that point, and we don't need to dive deep right now. We talked about some other more practical things, and we'll talk a little bit about your book after that. But are there any new and exciting uh, things and studies that have come out since David was on the podcast in a half a year or so ago? Yeah, it's funny you ask. Um, you know, after I after my eighty twenty running book came out, I stumbled upon uh, a video of a, a presentation that Steven Seiler had given. Uh, the video was just on, on YouTube. He was speaking at a conference, um, and he he in the slideshow he he showed my book you know he showed the cover of the book and he joked that now that his research had been turned into a book he needed to find something else to work on (laughs) (laughs) but he's actually gone and done exactly that so um more recently he and others have turned their attention to exactly what we were just talking about which is periodization so conducting studies where um everyone is pretty much training the same except in terms of how they sequence different types of of training uh so 
Um, you know, everyone's training the same amount. Everyone's doing uh, the same intensity distribution. But if there are, say, two phases, an A phase and a B phase, some athletes will do the A phase and then the B phase, and others will do exactly the opposite, B versus A. So what, what they're trying to drill down into and shed light on is, you know, does it matter? <laughs> or, you know, what is uh, – we, we already know some of the parameters of effective training, you know, the space you need to operate in. But this is a sort of a, a more uh, granular question, you know, just what, what is the, the best way to sequence uh, phases of training to get the best results. So, uh, yeah, research is sort of moving in that direction lately. Yep, very interesting. We'll follow, uh, watch this phase. So, so about the book then, uh, what can you tell us about the book that we haven't covered already? Any additional things that the listeners will get out of it when they read it? Yeah, I mean, I think it's worth underscoring that um, there's an entire... Uh, the, the the book contains complete training plans. Um, so, you know, they're obviously organized by uh, degree of difficulty and, and also competitive race distance. Um, but there's also an entire chapter that shows you step by step how to create your own training plan. Um, now, you know, a lot of athletes would not be comfortable doing that, but I think it's a really valuable chapter to read Anyway, even if you do tend to follow, intend to follow one of the plans in the book or you know, a plan you find on, online, because uh, just understanding the logic of uh, training plan design will, will help you sort of buy into what you're doing more and also make smart decisions when you experience difficulties, when problems arise um, in your training. So um, I'm, I'm sort of proud of that chapter where, you know, we just... Uh, you know, just break the whole process, exactly what we do for athletes. You know, when we create a training plan for them that's customized, you know, we show athletes how to do that for themselves. Okay, brilliant. And uh, I can also underscore your strength and conditioning uh, section that you have in there, which uh, which I think is another very useful thing to include, even though that's not uh, the main point or the main message of the book, but uh, it just underscores how important that is. And that's also another thing that a lot of athletes really undervalue and uh, don't execute as they should, even though I guess many athletes now are aware that they should be doing it, but they don't. So having that in there, I think it again raises and increases the awareness of that. Yeah, so a couple of interviewers have pointed out that it's actually the longest chapter in the book. Um, but I like to point out it's only because there's lots of photographs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and it's uh, it's it's all pretty girls doing. No, no I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yes. I. You know, it's funny. When I was younger, I used to model for some of my you know my own photo shoots for for a book, you know, just to save money. And I am an athlete, so I look like an athlete, but you know, I'm 47 years old now. So when I had this, when I had this photo shot, shoot done, I picked much younger people to do the model. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I have a couple in, uh, interesting listener questions that I got sent on, on Facebook in preparation for this interview. And the first one is from, from Dan who asks, uh, do sweet spot sessions on the bike, uh, over unders or crisscross interval variations for that matter fall into the gray area and shouldn't they be avoided i guess we already answered that because we're not saying that moderate intensity is bad we're just saying that athletes tend to do too much of it uh, but then the second part is i can't see how an 80 20 approach can work with very time restricted training and we sort of touched upon that already and uh and and i do <laughs> i do to some extent agree as well again going back to when i made my intuitive plans and then calculated the distributions and it was more like 70 30 or something like that in many cases in some cases even 65 35 if i'm completely honest but uh, is there anything that we because i think this is an important topic that comes up time and time again Anything else that we need to talk about in regards to this 80-20 approach working for with time-restricted athletes? Yeah, again, I, I would go back to um, what I said before, which is that just make sure that, that you intend to do most, forget the numbers, that you intend to do most of your training at low intensity and that that training is actually done at low intensity because... The biggest mistake people make is not doing 
70-30 instead of 80-20, it's doing 45-55. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and if you if you if you break it down into uh, low, moderate, and high, it's more like 45-55 zero. Uh, you know, zero high intensity. Because most people, if they're if they're if they're if they're doing their quote unquote easy stuff at moderate intensity day after day, they don't have the energy to do actual proper high intensity training. So, um, yeah, I know people get fixated on numbers and shoot, we put numbers in the title of the book, but it's kind of important to not lose the forest for the trees and understand exactly what you're trying to accomplish. Yeah, so yeah, if, if, if 65, 35 works for you, that's still a heck of a lot closer than to 80, 20 than what most people are doing. I'm sure the publisher preferred the title 80, 20 triathlon over do the easy training, easy triathlon or something like that. Right. <laughs> yes. Uh, but yeah, that really does answer the question and you can plan for 90, 10 or whatever, but if you go too hard in those 90% of the sessions and nothing is really truly easy, then you're missing the point. So great, that's right. answered. And then the final listener question is uh, from Tim. It would be good to know if there is any guidance on how to pick power targets within the zones. Say, for example, I'm uh, writing a workout uh, and it calls for a zone-free interval. Should I pick a low, middle, or upper end target of the zone? Or should we be working within ranges? And if so, how to define the range? Yes, that's a great question. So my approach typically is to um, you you tailor your specific effort to the specific format of the workout. So let's take you know zone five, which is the, you know the highest zone in, in our system. You could do twenty second intervals in zone five, or you could do ninety second intervals in zone five, or or anything in between. You you would not it wouldn't it wouldn't be my intention for you as a coach to do the twenty second intervals at exactly the same power as the ninety second intervals unless you know I had a specific reason for it um, and it also so you know the the shorter the intervals are within the same zone generally the harder you should uh, uh, or the higher you should aim within the zone and also the total number of intervals is going to affect how you you're basically what you're doing is pacing. Um, and I think this is where, this is where the gadgets, the usefulness of the gadgets, that's their limit. And, and eventually, you know, you're, you're a living, conscious, feeling human athlete. Like there, you have some responsibility to use your capacity to think and feel <laughs> to pace workouts appropriately. So, you know, you should sort of basically sort of just understand, uh, how hard you're supposed to go. Let's say, you know, you're, you're going to go to the track and run you know, 10 times 400 meters um, in zone five. Um, you know, the idea is to finish that session having done every interval at about, have you know, roughly equal splits for every interval, you know, to not start too fast and, and be, you know, bombing, slowing down a lot in the ninth and 10th intervals. Um, and you want to finish the workout feeling tired but not completely wrung out as if you'd done a race. So maybe you could do one or at most two more at the same pace, you know, if you absolutely had to. And, you know, I don't, I don't care how perfectly your zones have been uh, prescribed. You're going to blow that workout the first time you do it. If you're a novice athlete, you know, if you, if you just happen to be fit, but you're also inexperienced, um, so it takes experience, you know, you, you have to learn how to pace workouts. And, and so, you know, the, you know, the, the, you know, the structure and the zones, they don't do the whole job for you. You know, they set you up for success, but then, you know, execution requires actually pacing, uh, with reliance on, on, on perception of effort to a certain degree. Yeah, absolutely. And, and to add to that, like the, the zones are set on one day in a certain set of conditions uh, with a certain nutritional and hydrational status. Uh, they're a moving target. Like there's a lot of day-to-day variation in that. So, so you need to learn to pace them. And a range is a good good thing to have, absolutely. But then using pacing to to determine within that uh, within that range how to how, how hard to go in that workout. Exactly. So let's wrap up with uh, some rapid fire questions. So take just uh, 15 seconds or less to answer. 
uh, these ones. And the first question is, what's your favorite book, blog, or resource related to triathlon or endurance sports? Uh, book, blog. Oh, no, I can't name any of my own books. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll, I'll name them in, in, in the post-interview chat. <laughs> <laughs> um, book, blog, or resource trying to think of what I go to. Um, you know, I'm going to give you one out of left field. Um, for running, I really love Greg McMillan's online calculator. So it's at mcmillanrunning.com. I'm on that website constantly. It's very useful for uh, digging down deeper to uh, to set like uh, pace targets for all kinds, of, all different kinds of workouts. And also, you know, performance equivalence calculations, you know, if I can run a 5k split in X time, what might I be able to do for, for 10k? So I, I like, I love Greg McMillan's uh, running calculator. Yeah, I, I love it too. I'm, I'm on there all the time. MacmillanRunning.com. Okay, next question. What do you wish you had known or done differently at some point in your career? You know, a, a long list of things, um, but I've only got 15 seconds. So, um, you know, I guess uh, number one would be um, there, there, my first few books I wish I hadn't written. Um, so to be honest, like I, I wish I'd taken more time to know what I was talking about before I started <laughs> talking. Um, uh, that, that's, it, it's frank but true. And uh, any author is, is, who's going to be honest will tell you that there's, there's stuff they've written that they'd rather have back. I'm proud of you know 80-20 triathlon and the stuff I've done more recently, but – uh, sometimes when you're young, you tend to think you're an expert before you're an expert. And I guess, you know, maybe there's, there's no other way. I, you know, I just had to learn the hard way, but it is something I learned. And finally, who's somebody in endurance sports that you look up to and admire? Um, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm a big, what they call jock sniffer. So I, 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 am a fanboy of top athletes. You know, I, I, I love, um, the, uh, you know, elite, I'm a fan of the sport. So like, I'm a big fan of Lionel Sanders right now. He has a great story. I just, you know, he's a, he's a gritty guy. Um, you know, he's really deserves the success that he's having. So, um, while Lionel Sanders is my answer to that one. Perfect. Thank you so much, Matt. It's been a pleasure talking to you. We'll keep talking, uh, but the listeners will have to wait one more week. But next week we'll actually have a second interview with you on your book and, uh, uh, overall topic of the endurance diet but in the meantime where can uh, listeners find out more about you and the book and uh, everything that you got going on yeah so we've already mentioned uh, the 8020 endurance uh, website and then my personal website is mattfitzgerald.org and we'll link to that in the show notes and uh, the amazon link for the book and and everything else that we can think of social media thank you so much matt it was a pleasure talking to you likewise thank you I really hope you enjoyed that interview and my main takeaway here really is that there's nothing magic in the numbers but what you should do is you should plan to do a lot of your training at an easy intensity, a majority, a large majority of your training at an easy intensity and then follow through on that. Don't just put it in your training calendar that this will be an easy run, but then go out and run at a moderate intensity. Then you're not getting any of the benefits. It doesn't matter how you plan. You need to have that follow through and you need to be diligent and practice intensity discipline in that matter or intensity control. In a couple of episodes, speaking of intensity control, you, you'll hear an interview with uh, Adil Tveiten, who is the head coach of the Norwegian triathlon team. And if you follow the short course triathlon circuit, the WTS World Triathlon Series racing scene, you'll know that Norway, which is a tiny country population-wise with uh, less than 5 million inhabitants, I think, and with a climate that's not exactly conducive for triathlon training, they were the first nation ever to sweep a men's podium in a WTS race when they did so in Bermuda in April 2018. And I have a great interview, one one of my favorite interviews that I've done to date with Adel coming up. And we talk about how they are very diligent in practice, exactly what we talked about today with uh, Matt on intensity control, really sticking to making your easy training easy. That is how the Norwegians have made a super small nation a triathlon powerhouse. And that is how you can make sure that you get the most out of your training as well. 
As always, I take the show notes for you and you can find them on thattriathlonshow.com. If you have comments or questions, leave them in the comments section on that show notes page. And in the next episode, there's more of Matt on That Triathlon Show. He returns to talk about one of his other books, which I think is my favorite of all the books that he's written. Uh, I haven't read quite all of the 25 or so books, but I've probably read 10 or more of Matt's books. And The Endurance Diet, which is what we'll talk about in the next episode, is my favorite. It is absolutely brilliant. Uh, It's about how Matt did extensive research, uh, systematic and and informal investigations into how elite endurance athletes across disciplines all over the world, different continents, how they eat. And he basically synthesized all of that all of his research results and the informal investigations into five core habits that are the endurance diet and it's diet with tongue-in-cheek it's not really a diet it's an approach to nutrition and we'll get into that in the next episode so this is one that you don't want to miss of course to make sure that you don't miss it please subscribe to the podcast if you aren't already to make sure that you get all the new episodes as they are released you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts apple podcasts itunes spotify stitcher a number of android apps i think pocketcast is the best app on android even youtube and if you have been a long-time listener please consider leaving a rating and review for the podcast if you enjoy it that is very important. It's how the podcast can keep growing. And this is it growing is what allows me to keep putting the time and resources required into creating it every single week, actually two times per week. Big thanks to somebody who did leave a rating and review. That is uh, uh, Bradel G from Italy, who writes super informative for newbies like me. Uh, five stars. I discovered that Draftland show only a few weeks ago and I'm now binging on the podcast. Makes my morning and evening commute so much more interesting and productive. Great interviews, great intel and info. I'm a fan. Thank you so much, Bradel. It really uh, it means a lot to me to read reviews like this. I really appreciate it. Finally, I also really appreciate our great sponsors, Stack, that you can find on stackzero.com. That's uh, S-T-A-C, zero spelled out, dot com. And you can find their great, great bike trainers, the Stack Zero Base, the Stack Zero Power Meter, and the new smart trainer version, the Stack Zero Halcyon there. And uh, you can find all of their specifications, features, and benefits, of course. And then when it is time to order, be sure to use the promo code TTS20 to get 20% off your Stack Zero bike trainer. And big thanks to Precision Hydration that you can find on precisionhydration.com. Take their free online sweat test to get your personalized hydration strategy to make sure that you replenish electrolytes, including sodium, as you should in training and in racing. And if you haven't used order from Precision Hydration before, you can get your first box for free with the promo code that Triathlon Show, all one word, all caps. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving craft long.